This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Good morning. It will be very helpful if you can keep the passage open in Isaiah. And there's an outline uh, in the bulletin that you might find helpful. Uh, just two points. But let me begin by asking, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? That's a question that is guaranteed to get most, if not all, question, uh, all Christians a bit uh, embarrassed, feeling a bit guilty, because we all know that our prayer life is not as it should be. Well, uh, today's passage will help us with our prayer life, and it will remind us to focus not so much on ourselves. Because sometimes when uh, you get asked that question, you might feel guilty and you might you know, determine yourself, okay, I, I need to change, I need to have this strategy, I need to wake up early, I need to start using this uh, prayer diary or whatever. Uh, the passage will remind us to focus not so much on ourselves as if we can somehow get ourselves to change. But the passage will remind us to focus on the God. And the focus on this God who does not change. That in fact our hope for change is because this God does not change. Because he is a God who does not change, he is faithful to his promises. And so, uh, as uh, one of my Bible study group members said on Friday, okay, you know, this uh, prayer, model prayer here is to teach us how we can pray more prayerfully. Okay, uh, that's the goal. That uh, At the end of this passage, my, my goal is simple, that we learn to pray more prayerfully. Let's uh, ask God to help us. Father, you know our weaknesses. You know that even with such an immense privilege that we have of prayer, coming before you, God, who has created the heavens and the earth, coming before you as children, before our Father, and yet this privilege we so complacent about, take for granted, neglect. So Father, we thank you for this reminder today. So please do that work in us, make that change in us, stir in us, that we will realize the privilege we have, that we will come before you and we will pray indeed more prayerfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you uh, might want to flip back uh, to chapter 62, a passage that we didn't really cover, but you can see there in verse 6 and 7 that Isaiah says, uh, in light of God's promises, what he has done, he says, I've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, Give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest, till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. So this picture of on the, the walls of Jerusalem, watchmen have been posted. Okay, and these watchmen are not just watching. They have a job to do. They are supposed to call on the Lord. They are supposed to you know, give themselves no rest, seizingly call on the Lord, pray to the Lord, give him no rest, as it were, to call on him to do 
what he has promised. So these watchmen are supposed to remember God's promises, cry out to him in prayer. And so I think uh, what we have here in 63-64 is Isaiah giving those watchmen that model prayer, what they are to pray as they are on that wall, unceasingly giving God no rest, crying out to him. So we have here, uh, in many ways, a model prayer. Now, the first point on your outline is that in verse 7 to 14, Isaiah is first remembering the God who saved. So he is uh, thinking back uh, to what God has done with Israel in the past, and he has remembered that this is what God has done. He has saved. And the whole point is because he is a God who does not change, it will then lead him into praying to the God who saves. So firstly, remember the God who saved. So going all the way back to the beginning, and in verse 7, he says, I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel. Now, the use of the plural there, his many kindnesses, the many good things. Okay, it is Isaiah's way of uh, reminding himself, reminding his people that this kindness that God has shown okay, is more than just this abstract character that God has. Oh, he's a kind God. But he has actually shown his kindnesses in concrete, tangible, good things that he has done for Israel. So, uh, you will realize that Isaiah is going all the way back to the beginning of the nation, going all the way back to how God took the initiative in rescuing his people from Egypt, how God has taken the initiative to make them his people. And the whole point that Isaiah is trying to argue uh, and remind himself and remind us of is, if God did it then, he will do it now. If God did it back then, if he showed his kindnesses, if he was the one who took initiative, if he did it then, then why not now? And so this is uh, Isaiah appealing to God, appealing to God to act. And he is coming before God, not negotiating with God. He's not trying to bargain with God. God, oh no, you know, you should do this and because we'll do this for you. He's not doing that. He's just simply appealing to God on God's character. And God's character that has been demonstrated in history. And you see in verse 10, Isaiah is very much in touch with reality. In verse 10, he remembers that even though God was so good, God was so kind and did so many good things, the people rebelled. Yet they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. Now we need to recognize that uh, this is not a people rebelling against a tyrant God. This is not a people rebelling against a God who is, has been a slave master. But this is a God who has been kind and good, and initiated relationship. 
and yet they have rebelled. This is the history that Isaiah remembers of his, of his people. And this is the history that I think you and I can agree is our history. That we are people who have known the kindness. We have seen the good things God has done in our life. God, God has not been a tyrant. God has not been some party pooper, you know, making life miserable for us. You know, he's some slave master, you know, working us to the bone. He's been good. He's been kind. And yet, my history, your history, is we have rebelled. And the consequence of our rebellion is we have grieved his Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes when we sin, when we rebel against God, I think what we fear most, if we are honest, is we fear being found out. We fear the consequences of our sin coming down on us as we deserve, you know, as, as that sin deserves. We fear the consequences of our sin. But here Isaiah reminds us that when God's people rebel, there's a far greater consequence than, you know, any thing that could happen to us. Uh, there's a consequence of God being grieved. Now this, uh, you know, giving of human emotion to God, I mean, God, in a sense, doesn't have these emotions, but he's helping us to understand that this is a God who has been good, who has been kind, acting on his faithful character, and yet in the rebelling of his people, there is this grieving as a, as a, as a, a person has, this grieving of the Holy Spirit. And so in consequence, God became the enemy. Second half of verse 10, and he himself fought against them. So that what happened in the exodus of God expressing that judgment, executing judgment on his people. Now in verse 11, uh, it says in the NIV, then his people recalled the days of old. Now there is... Uh, debate about whether this is the best way to translate it. And I think after spending you know, a lot of time thinking about it, to and fro, to and fro, um, the better way to translate it, and I think the ESV translates it this way, and in the margin of the NIV, it will say, then he recalled the days of old. Meaning that it is not so much his people remembering, but God himself remembering. So Isaiah is appealing to this, that, that even though his people have rebelled and God has acted in judgment, but God, according to his faithful character, has remembered, remembered what he has promised his people. And doing that, God has rescued. And you see the, the rest of the verses, verse 11, God has uh, come, he has become the shepherd of his flock, he has come, he has set his Holy Spirit among them. In verse 12, he has uh, divided the waters and he has, he has rescued his people. Right? And all this is to gain for himself everlasting renown. Right? This is a God who has remembered his faithful character, remembered his promise, and he, in the face of his people's rebellion, come to rescue. And so verse 13, rescued them, like, you know, leading them in a horse in open country so that they don't stumble like cattle that go down to the plain. I mean, it was, it was a, a good leading. And they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. And so it ends by Isaiah reminding God, reminding himself, this is how you guided your people. 
to make for yourself a glorious name. So the point is, Isaiah is remembering, recalling God's faithfulness. And this is a faithfulness uh, that is part of God's character, and this is his character that is demonstrated in history. This is not just some idea that Isaiah has about God, but God has shown his character in the past, shown his faithfulness in the past. And so I want to just uh, pause and ask us, when we approach God, on what basis do you approach God? On what basis do you come before the throne uh, of God and make your appeal? Now, I can remember in my younger days as a Christian, when I really got myself in trouble, I would come before God and I would, I would have this uh, attitude of negotiating with God. Okay, God, God, okay, God, if you rescue me from this, okay, I'm going to stop doing this, I'm going to be nicer to my mother, you know, I'm going to start doing more household. I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be negotiating with God. But Isaiah is reminding us here, telling us here, no, no, that, that, that will not work. The only basis that is secure that confidence for which to come before God is to come before Him according to who He is and not who we are. So that that learning, that being convicted of who God is, is crucial. Crucial to our prayer life because it is as we are convinced of who He is that we will come and we will pray and we will we will pray according to His priorities, come according to the confidence that He gives us. So I want to be practical, and uh, I'm reading a book with uh, you know, one of the guys in church, and uh, there was something practical about uh, learning about God that I want to share. Okay, so it's about learning who God is, right? And as we read the Bible, as we go through life and, and see you know, the reality of God uh, that He's teaching us, when we learn something about God, okay, that's really good, tell Him. Okay, so maybe in a quiet time or something in the sermon or, you know, uh, someone, something our, our friend shares with us and we find it in scripture. When you learn something about God, tell Him. Meaning, uh, reflect it back to God in prayer. Tell him that, okay, God, I've learned that this is who you are, your, your holiness, and then, you know, like what you learn about his holiness. Tell God. And then secondly, something practical. When you are trying to learn something about God, but you are having a hard time. Okay, so maybe like, is this passage or something? And, and you know, you're trying to get your head around it, and you're having a hard time, ask God to help you. You know, like uh, just this Wednesday, uh, at, at NTU, after, after the, the, the session, after we had uh, raised up the issue of God's predestination, His sovereignty to save, I mean, I had a whole group of students around me during dinner asking me, right, again, about this, this issue of predestination. Is it fair? Is it unfair? I mean, they're trying to grapple with what God has revealed of Himself in Scripture, and the advice to them is, yes, as you know, look at these passages, this and that. But the thing that they need to do at the end of the day is to ask God. God, help me with this. God can take our questions. God can take our, okay, you know, that I don't really understand this. I got some doubts about this. I don't really see how it's fair. God can take all this. So when we struggle, go to God, ask Him for help. 
ask Him for more understanding so that we can know truly the God that He is. And then the third practical thing, in our talking to God, asking Him, in our prayer to God, write it down. Write it down. So I've been, uh, you know, trying to do that as well because I said to the guy that I'm reading with, okay, this is practical applications. Okay, the next time we meet, let's, let's, let's try it. Okay, let's, 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 uh, try it out and see. And, and, uh, not that it's a test or what, but we'll show each other the prayer that we wrote down. And because it is helpful, not just to have the thoughts, you know, abstract in our minds, but to take the time and the discipline to write out what we want to say so that the words are formed on sentences, and so that the sentences of what we are saying to God uh, is clarified and it has an impact on our lives. So Isaiah is remembering, remembering the God who saved, and and the point is, if God did it then, why not now? And so his prayer now begins in earnest in uh, 63 verse 15, praying, to the God who saves. Now, this is a passage that has defied easy structure. Okay, so all the commentaries that I look to, right, all got different structure one. Okay, like they all have a different way of structuring. And, and I think that's because Isaiah is not so much writing uh, a treatise. Okay, one of the most important words in the whole passage is there in the beginning of verse 64. Okay, what's the, what's the word there? What do you think is the most important word in verse 60, uh, chapter 64, verse 1? It is the word, oh. And there is there again in verse 9, oh. And this is a reminder that Isaiah is not just giving a lecture. This is the model prayer. This is the tutorial. This is a, no, he is actually praying. He is actually praying with passion. This is Isaiah crying out to God, crying out to God to save based on his past faithfulness, his past track record of saving God. Now we are in this situation. Oh God, save us. And so because Isaiah is praying with passion, he is, he doesn't have a very clear structure that, uh, you know, uh, all the scholars can agree with. But I think what is helpful to recognize is there is interwoven in this prayer longing. Longing for God to act. And it is a longing that is interwoven with lamentation. Mourning. So there is prayer woven with mourning. So let's look at uh, the way he longs in verse 15, chapter 63. Longing, longing for God to look down. Look down from heaven and see. From your lofty throne, holy and righteous. Look down and see, see our situation. Where are your zeal and your might? Where's your, where is your passionate commitment, God? Where is your zeal to keep your promise? Where, where is your might? Where is your power to accomplish your promise? And it seems, God, your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. Because that is Isaiah's situation as they are going through this difficult time, as they are going through the consequences of their sin. It seems as if God's tenderness and compassion are withheld. 
Now this phrase, uh, withheld, is actually repeated at the end of the prayer. So if you look at 64 verse 12, uh, is there, after all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Okay, it is the same word. So another way of trying to understand this prayer is that it, it begins and it ends with this, this word, God, will you withhold? Will you withhold yourself from us? And so the prayer is asking God, God, come down. God, come down and intervene. Don't, don't withhold. Don't withhold yourself from us. Do the work that only you can do. Don't withhold yourself back at all. And then in verse 16, But you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us, you, Lord, are our father, our redeemer from of old is your name. You see, here is Isaiah, as it were, tenaciously. Right? He is clinging on to God. God, you have come to us and you come to us as father. And even though Abraham and Israel, if they saw us now, you know, Father Abraham and Jacob, if they came and they saw the state we are in, they would not recognize us. They would not, what? What? Are, they, are these God's people? Are these my descendants? I mean, no, we will not be recognizable by them. So even though that is our situation, that is our state, Isaiah is tenaciously clinging on. God, you are our Father. You are our Lord, our Redeemer from of all. You are the one who has saved us in the past. Save us now. Now turn to 64, chapter 64, and we'll see uh, another aspect of Isaiah's longing. Verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh God, that you would, that you would, that you would tear apart. God, you are there in your, your lofty throne up in heaven. We are down here. And God, will you, will you tear heaven open? And come down. Come down because the state that we are in, only by you coming down and doing what only you can do, then, then we can have any hope of change. God, would you rend the heavens and come down? And when God comes down, when he comes down with his presence, the mountains would tremble before you. There will be a discernible effect. There will be some change that is inevitable because God has come down. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. I mean, you put the water over the fire, you hold a flame to a twig long enough, there will be a change that happens. There will be inevitable, that burning, that boiling. And so Isaiah is calling, Oh, oh God, come down. And come down, come down in such a way, uh, verse 2, to make your name known to your enemies. Cause the nations to quake before you. Come down and act in such a way that even your enemies, even the nations who acknowledge that it is you, you who has done this. And then Isaiah continues, verse 4, Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. There is no other God 
in history that is like this God. Now, in Isaiah's treatment of the gods of the nations, he has pictured those gods as gods that are made by human hands. He has pictured those gods as needing to be carried around by human uh, you know, servants. And then when those gods topple over, uh, we, we actually need to prop them up. Those are the gods that the nations know. But, but no one has seen, no one knows the, the type of god that you are, the type of god that, End of verse 4, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You, you are not the God who needs us to work for you. You are the God who works for us. You are the God who comes to the help of those who gladly do right. Verse 5, who remember your ways. This is the God that you are. You act for us. You come to the help of those who do the right thing. But then Isaiah remembers, we are not people who do right. We are not people who have waited faithfully for God. And so there's this mourning that comes in. And uh, go back to 63 verse 17. And in his mourning there, he asked God, Why, Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so we do not revere you? Now, please do not misunderstand Isaiah. He is not blaming God. He is not attributing, God, it is your fault. God, it is your responsibility. The blame is on you. You've made us wonder. Okay, no, he is not doing that. But Isaiah is recognizing that we have wondered. Our hearts have hardened. And it is, God, you in your righteous judgment, in withdrawing your presence, withholding your grace. That's why our wandering continues, our hardening continues. And that is, that is God's just and righteous expression of, of judgment, of discipline on his people. And so he's just confirming that, yes, in our, in our wandering, you have rightly judged us. You have removed your grace. He continues to mourn. In verse 6, the reality of the wandering, the reality of our hardened hearts, he says in verse 6, all of us have become like the one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. I actually had a, a rag that I brought from home that I put in my bag, and I was going to tell you that this is what a filthy rag looks like. Normally, when we read uh, in the Bible, filthy rag, we think of a, you know, maybe a shirt that is dirty. Okay, maybe you eat curry, and then some of the curry spill on it. Oh, oh, that's 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 a filthy rag. Okay, no, that's not a filthy rag. That is just a dirty shirt. A filthy rag would have been what I brought to you, taken from my toilet. You know, it's hung there, and it's used to just scrub all the black stuff, you know, you know what I mean? And then, you know, and then you just maybe give it a, a, a bit of a rinse and then you hang there again. Okay, that is a filthy rag that, you know, in some cases, when you come close enough to it, it will stink. Now, I was going to take it and like throw it out at you, like, okay? And then, you know, uh, better throw it at the right person. And then obviously the reaction will be like, you know, like, like, you know, no one, no one will be like, Jumping out and trying to catch it. No one will be doing that. We will turn away and run away and be disgusted 
by that filthy rag. And so Isaiah, recognizing his sin, recognizing and mourning his sin before God, he says, all our righteous acts, just think of the best thing you did this week. Okay, the most righteous thing that you did that was not only good, but done with the purest of your motivation. Okay, that, that, the very best thing. In the last week, in the last month, and before God, it is a filthy rag that, you know, you give it to God. You think God would be happy, but he's like, he's like, you know, he's disgusted. He recoils from it. And we all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Because of our sins, our, our, that, 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 that shriveling of the leaf is like that, that, that energy, that, that vitality just going from us until we get, we get more and more undone and shrivel up. And then the wind just blows us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. You have hidden your face from us. You've given us over to our sins. This is Isaiah mourning and is confessing this before God. And it is helpful for us to hear Isaiah's mourning because you and I, we need to confess this as well. And so that we are clear when we come before God, we are pleading with God, coming to Him without any sense of self-merit. That we bring nothing. There's no basis for any negotiation or bargaining. This, if this is our reality, and if you are convinced that this is our reality, then we will come before God. Stripped of any self-merit. And so it is that person who prays, who comes before God, who has been stripped of any self-deserving or self-merit, who can say in verse 8, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. We can only turn to God. We can only come to Him and we come on the basis that He has promised to be our Father. That He is the one who has made us and formed us. He is the potter. We are the clay. We must be so thankful that He is a God who doesn't change. Oh, look on us, we pray. For we are all your people. See, this is language that is standing firmly on what God has promised. The promise that God has made that he will be our God and we will be his people. No merit any of our, on, our, on our end, on our part, but on his faithful character, his promise, he is a God who doesn't change. And so at the end, after all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Will you hold yourself back, God? You are the God who has saved and you do not change. And so we are calling out to you, God, so now save us. Will you hold yourself back? And I think the answer we are supposed to understand from Isaiah is that the answer is no. God does not. God does 
will not hold himself back. God will not hold himself back. He did not hold himself back in answering Isaiah's prayer in the way he did back then. And the answer is clearly no. God will not hold himself back. Because in the fullest expression of God's answer to this prayer is God sending his son. God giving his son. God God did not hold himself back because God gave his son. And and God the son came down. The, The heavens were rendered. It was torn apart. God himself came down. And he came down and he so did not hold himself back that on the cross, what we read in verse 6 and 7, the reality of sin, that it is unclean, like a filthy rag, that the Son of God, in not holding himself back, prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And on that cross became that filthy rag. All our filthy rags were piled on him. He became sin. He became that filthy rag. He was shriveled up like a leaf. Because God does not change. The promise he has kept to save us, the character that he displayed, that saving and faithful character, it is displayed in the now of what he has done in Jesus, saving us from our sin. And so friends, the basis on which we approach God is who He is and not what we can do for Him. And so when we see our life, when we see our church, when we see society, when we see you know, our life or our church or society in dire straits, it is in some, you know, some big mess, some big situation. When we see, when we see the apathy, when we see the, you know, how the church is so easily satisfied with, you know, superficial uh, spirituality. When we see that there's this lethargy, when we see that there's so much wrong, so much mess. Right. Fundamentally, we must not start a new program. We must not organize a new event. We must not think that things won't change. You know, like in despair, just, okay, just conform, you know, things are like that. We must not do any of these things. Fundamentally, what we must do is we must be driven to prayer. To pray. Oh, you know, prayers that are prayerful to this God who does not change, confident that He is the one who is able to change us, change our church, to change our society. May God help us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.